Welcome to our service from St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. I'm Stuart and it's my privilege to be the minister here. As always, I'd invite you to like and share this service with your friends and leave your comments and questions below. If you have questions, and I really hope that you do, then join us on a Thursday evening for Digging Deeper, where we all get a chance to explore some of our questions and ideas about today's passage. There are more details at the end and on our website and Facebook page. This week we're also delighted to have music from our friends from Colburn Silver Band and from our own pianist Lindsay. So let's get stuck into a difficult and dangerous story about money. Matthew 25 verses 14 to 30 For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested the money with bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent away from him, and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness. There there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
any way you look at it, this parable is difficult. But that shouldn't put us off. Sometimes it's the wrestling with these problematic stories that we glimpse something of what they might be trying to tell us about God. So, here's what we often do with this one. We play with the word talent, because talent means gift and skill, and it's about money. So we could talk about using your gifts and skills to make money for the church. And some of you have, and the rest of you, you totally should. In the business world, we would say that was speculate to accumulate. Turn your money into more money. You buy ingredients and bake a cake or make tablet or material and make a face mask and then you sell it. And that's great and it's very, very much appreciated. And if you haven't had a go, then maybe you could think about how you could help in these strange times. But to be honest, I don't think that's really what this parable is getting at. This story is told by Jesus in the last week of his life. It's in the space just before the plot to kill him kicks fully into gear. This is teaching for his disciples about what they need to know both now and later. It's a story about the kingdom of God, both now and later. So what's going on? The first thing to say is that a talent is a very, very large amount of money. It's worth somewhere between 10 and 20 years wages. So the slave who gets five talents is getting close to 100 years worth of wages. It's a ridiculous amount. Nobody would give that to anyone, especially a slave. Especially with no clear instructions about what to do with it. The master just gives them this huge sum of cash and his property to look after. And off he goes. But before we get into that, we should probably take a moment just to absorb that idea. The master has left. He's gone with no instructions, no clear idea about when he'll be back. I wonder, is that how we think about God? Gone, disappeared, just chucked us the keys and left. But it's not just the keys that the master leaves. He gives his servants money, lots and lots of his money, more than they could ever need, more than anyone could ever need. It's what's called hyperbole, a huge exaggeration to make a point. The story is ridiculous. This is beyond the wealth of even kings. And Jesus is telling it to a group of people who barely get by. Five talents is an outrageous sum of money. This is a story about abundance. But that kind of abundance is mildly terrifying. We all play the what would you spend your lottery one on game. But reality shows that people who do win that sort of cash tend to trade up one. They sell their semi-detached and buy a detached house with an extra room. They trade in their Ford Focus and buy a BMW. And the ones who don't go slightly mad. Very few of the people who have won what we would call life-changing amounts have done well with it. We often say that money doesn't buy you happiness, and it turns out that's more true than we could imagine. But this isn't a lottery win. It's not their money. At some point, the master will be back. And when he does turn up, he wants the slaves to account for their money. The one with the most has doubled his amount. The one in the middle has doubled his two to four. And the one with one, well, he buried his and still has the same amount. But why? Perhaps it's a question of risk. What if whatever I try doesn't work out? People have great businesses that go bankrupt all the time. There are so many factors out there that you can't control. Things break, people get sick, suppliers let you down. A global pandemic happens. What if something went wrong? And you lost a lot. When you have the smallest amount, and in many ways you have the most to lose. The slave with five talents has so much money that he could try loads of things and if they don't work, that doesn't matter. He could try something else. But this isn't quite the lesson in economics we think it is. Listen to what the slave says as his reason. Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you didn't scatter seed, so I was afraid. 
So the master isn't a good man. Maybe the master in the story then is the system, the powerful, the elites who hoard wealth and resources for themselves. The servant who buries the money is engaging in non-violent resistance against a system that rewards the rich, who do very little to earn their vast sums and punishes the poor for not making their masters enough profit. Well, that fits. And it's a lesson we do well to take note of. Economic justice, as we've discovered, is at the very heart of the kingdom. But this is a dangerous parable. It can be used to justify what's become known as the prosperity gospel. Wealth is a sign of blessing. Poverty is punishment. And it's just plain wrong. It's an abuse of scripture. But like any parable, there are layers of meaning and possible interpretations. It could be that the master in this story is not God, but what if he is? I hear often from people who have a problem with God. I mean, all you have to do is read the Old Testament. You see that God is harsh and vengeful and, well, all the things the servant accuses his master of being. It's an easy image of God to get stuck with. God throws the first people out of paradise. He kills everyone apart from Noah's family in a flood. He lets the people rot in Egypt as slaves and then makes them wander in the wilderness for 40 years where they run out of food and water, where God punishes them harshly for their disobedience. And even Moses dies before God finally brings them to a new land. And even then things don't go well. Invasions from the Assyrians and the Babylonians and now the Romans. And all the while the rich and powerful seem to get by with their wealth intact, while the poor break their backs in the hot sun every day. It's not hard to see why people could hold a pretty grim view of God. And perhaps that's what the slave is presenting us with. Why should I do anything for you? Where's that gotten us? Nothing has changed, nothing's better. And for the disciples, that disastrous reality of Jesus' execution is about to happen. Once again, all that they hoped for, all they waited for is gone. The dream's crushed by a bunch of politicians in an empire. What story, what parable could you possibly tell to that group of people to get them through the horrific experience so they don't come out the other side like the slave, full of resentment and anger? This is a reminder of what God is not. So often these stories tell us what God is, that when we're presented with a negative, we don't really know what to do with it. But negatives can be helpful. If God's not harsh, then it follows that the opposite's true. God is kind. The slave doesn't understand God's character, that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. If we live with a bad understanding of who God is, then we react fearfully. We make bad choices when we're afraid. I spoke about this perhaps being a parable about economics. Our economy is based on scarcity. The harder it is to get something, the more valuable it is. So precious jewels and minerals become expensive and paintings by the great artists sell for millions. But scarcity is a lie. The world has more than enough for everyone. When the master gives the slaves his fortune, it's an amount we can't even really imagine. Even the smallest amount given is a lifetime of wages. But, but it can't be for real, can it? There must be a catch. This can't all be for me. And in that doubt, fear grows. It turns out that we're often much more afraid of God than we are trusting of him. Jesus has set out his manifesto. Blessing is to be found in humility and right living and justice. The kingdom Jesus talks about is both here already and not yet. It breaks in when we live the way that Jesus shows us. And like the disciples, we're charged with the responsibility to make that happen by inviting more people into that way of life and we're judged on how we get on. That word judgment is from the Greek word we get our word crisis from. And in a crisis, we succeed or fail based on their response. There's a crisis coming for the disciples and some of them won't do very well at all. Thankfully, judgment is about refining and renewing. 
and the crisis we learn about ourselves, we're given the chance to be better. The discovery that we've not done well can be a painful realisation bringing weeping in the darkness, but that's not the end of the story because God is love and is full of mercy. Judgment's a process of removing all the things we prevent ourselves from doing well with, all the things that hold us back, all the things we know are wrong but do anyway, all the ways that we treat people poorly and discard them and our poor choices and our bad attitudes. The end point of judgment is we become good and faithful servants and enter into the joy of our master. We're all blessed. We're all given stores of love and kindness, mercy and forgiveness. We live in a world full of resources, more than enough for everyone. When we share these, the consequences of growth of peace and justice and an outpouring of love. That's what we're called to by this parable. That's the example that Jesus gives for everyone. That's our job. And that's where justice and love are to be found. Hello and uh, a very warm welcome from all at Colburn Silver Band. I'm Alan Court, uh, the band president, and it's my absolute pleasure to introduce to you uh, this piece of music which has been arranged by our uh, musical director, Gareth Bowman, and has been performed virtually by the, the band members in their own homes. Uh, we've prepared a, a hymn tune, Love Divine, and really the, the thought behind it is to really just to connect with all our, our church communities, which we have missed so much over this past uh, six or seven months since the pandemic started. Um, we do miss performing for you. Uh, we really hope you enjoy this particular performance. Um, and as always, catch up with us on our Facebook page uh, and through our website for all the information uh, on the band. But we do really do just wish you well, uh, stay safe and God bless.
Lord God, giver of all good things, giver of life itself, we worship and adore you. You created the earth and asked us to care for it. We took control and began to exploit the resources that you gave us. You give us enough and more to share. We hoarded as though things were scarce and let others go hungry and voiceless. God, if we have learned nothing in this season, may we never forget how connected we all are across the world. When one part of the body hurts, all suffer. So God, before we lose sight of all that you have taught us, unclench your hands and release in us your generosity. Convict us in our worship of your call to us to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to house the homeless, to give sight to the blind and healing to the lame. Such is your power and your faith in us. May our worship then renew and equip us to serve you by serving the world. God, you have reminded us that humanity is all connected. We are dependent on one another and on the earth that you created. So help us to live in love, caring for one another, building up one another in love and reverence. May we never avert our eyes when any of your children suffers, but instead hear you calling us to make a difference. May we never feel self-sufficient, but always be aware of how we need each other. May we never be silent when our voices should be raised in protest. God, it is not your will that any should suffer. So help us to pray for and work towards justice, inclusion, equity and love with all that we have, bearing one another's burdens and sharing one another's sorrows. God, help us to use our power wisely and always for good until we see your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen. Faith asks much of us. Sometimes it can feel too much. As you go from our time together, know that you are enough. Your presence and faithfulness are a great witness to God's love. So beloved child of God, know God's blessing with you this day and every day. Amen. Every Sunday between 1pm and 2.30pm you can donate to the food bank at St Ninian's Church in Vickers Road. Please just turn up with your bag and drop it off and remember to keep social distancing. This year is going to be difficult for many people because of coronavirus. If anyone would like to donate a Christmas present for a struggling family in Stonehouse, these can also be handed in at the food bank. That's between 1pm and 2.30 every Sunday until Christmas. They'll be handed out by the administrator of the Free For All Facebook page. Please wrap your donations up and mark them with a suitable for whatever age, boy or girl, or it could also be for an older person. We'd very much appreciate your help with us.
I mentioned earlier in the service that if you have questions, then Digging Deeper is the place for you. Every Thursday evening between 7.30 and 9pm we get together on Zoom and we bring our questions about the passage for the previous Sunday. You are very welcome to join us. There's more information on the website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk and on our Facebook page which you can find at St Ninians Church Stonehouse. We'd love to see you.